When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ever walked by a shelf in your local bookstore full of books wrapped in brown paper? They are blind dates with books, where you buy a book without knowing the title, the cover, or the author, and it's a great way to discover new books you might never have picked for yourself. We're giving away five blind dates with books. Executive editor Amanda Nelson will take a trip to her local indie in Richmond called Chop Suey and pick five at random off their shelves to mail to five random winners. To enter to win your own blind date with a book, go Go to bookriot.com slash blind date and sign up for our upcoming Read This Book newsletter, where we will send you a single solitary book recommendation once per week. That's bookriot.com slash blind date to enter, or go see if your local indie participates with their own blind date shelves. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 202, and we are recording on October 8th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from Book Riot and my first cold of the fall. Oh, no. (laughs) The weather changed really dramatically last week. Like, we had a 90-degree day, and then all of a sudden it was in the 60s and 70s, and I was so excited, but of course, also, I got sick. Yeah, right. Yeah, that scans. Yeah, that's, that's how it goes. My children were, it was raining the other day and the boys were asking if they could go play outside in the rain. And of course, as a grumpy mother, I was like, no, you can't play outside in the rain. You'll get sick. And my kid, who they're both eight, was like, mom, that's not how science works. <laughs> like germs don't come because it's raining. And I was like, don't, don't sass me. It depresses your immune system. Be quiet. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> mom, that's not how science works. That's not how science works. Well, let's talk about how this show works since we're failing on science. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) It is, as I said at the top, a show for personalized reading recommendations, which means that you can send us in questions about what you should read next, what you should get for a friend or relative or somebody's birthday or graduation, what your book club should read, any and all of these things. We will do our best to find you your next good read. You can send those questions in via email, getbooked at bookriot.com. Or through the show notes on the site for every episode, there's a form at the bottom. And if you have a time-sensitive question, like you're traveling or it's a birthday or something, and you are hoping to hear back by a specific date, please put TIME-SENSITIVE, all caps, big letters, either in the subject line of the email or the first line of the form. We'll do our best. And if we don't think we're going to get to it on the air, we might email you a response. Or if you've been waiting for a while and working through some old questions, sorry. So uh, yeah, keep an eye out for those. We do have some feedback from listeners for recommendations of their own. Nicole says, I was listening to an episode from a while back and there was someone looking for a romance with a Korean slash Asian male lead. Josh and Hazel's Guide to Not Dating by Christina Lauren has a Korean male lead. Just wanted to throw that out there. 
And then Laura suggested for April and Lisa from our last episode, Carol Goodman's books. I've read Lake of Dead Languages, Seduction of Water, and Ghost Orchid. They're really gothic and atmospheric psychological suspense that take place in upstate New York. While they take place in present day, all three also have multiple timelines, so they include historical elements as well. Thank you so much for those. All right, let's see. Amanda will read our first question, and then I will tell you about our first sponsor, and then we will start recommending. Our first question is from Wish I Weren't Blushing. <laughs> Love that. Love that journey for you. Okay. Um, Wish I Weren't Blushing says, I'd like to try a steamy romance novel where sex is described. I know very little about the genre and its classification or how to find something I would like. I'm currently reading Victoria Dolls Taking the Heat, but wondering if there are books that don't use slang for body parts or at least don't use the word filthy to describe sex acts. Is that a thing? I'm intentional with language and I want something more positive. Also, are there romance setups among happily married people? I noticed arranged or forced marriages seem to be a trope, but that wasn't really what I was after. Maybe what I'm looking for is not called a romance novel. Can you recommend a book or a link to help? My searches are not getting me where I want to be. All right. Before we dive into that one, our first sponsor is Sugar Run by Misha Marin, now in paperback from Algonquin Books. This is set in insular and rural West Virginia, and it was Marin's debut novel and is a story about making a run for another life. The main character, Jody McCarty, is newly free after 18 years in prison and is pretty lost and aimless and heads south in search of someone she left behind as a way of finally making amends when she meets and falls in love with Miranda, a troubled young mother. And together, they head toward what they hope will be a fresh start. But what do you do with your past and a town and family that refuses to forget or change? This one made a big splash when it came out, and it is now in paperback. Very exciting. So if you've been waiting, it's a good time to pick it up. It got glowing praise and widespread national media attention. There were reviews in the Wall Street Journal, NPR, New York Times, Oprah Magazine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, like a billion, a billion places. <laughs> <laughs> and lots and lots of praise. Uh, Marin is helping to give voice to the rural LGBTQ community, which is a thing I'm starting to see more and more of and I'm really excited about. Um, so if you are looking for a story about contemporary Appalachia, this is definitely one to pick up. And Misha Marin is a West Virginia native, so it is own voices as well. Really great. So again, that is Sugar Run by Misha Marin. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. Okay. I'm taking over. Yes. Hey, look at that. Just aggressive. Just, <laughs> just like the people in this book. hey Okay. So my recommendation for you um, does come with several trigger warnings. For statutory rape, the the adult in that situation does not know the age of the teenager at the time of the event, but it's still obviously still a thing. Um, there's also grooming and just lots of stuff happening in this book with underage people, like a lot. So that said, my book for you is The Siren by Tiffany Rice. This, I, you know, like you can go back and forth about whether or not this is romance or erotica or like erotic fiction or like what it is, but I think that you will like this because it is adult like it is very steamy lots of sex is described like lots like lots and also you're so you're looking for romance setups among happily married people and i think that that's that's difficult to achieve in a novel because there needs to be some kind of conflict that moves the story forward so they're they're not going to be happy the whole time like i don't know that you can go find a book in any genre that's just about happily married people being happy with like nothing else going on um so the the couples in this book do not start happy. Like when the book opens, um, the main character's name is Nora. She is in a an erotic 
fiction writer by day and a dominatrix by night. Um, and she has ha- she has had a very long term romantic relationship with her priest from childhood. Um, and it's like a it's a what do you call it um, a BDSM relationship. He is very very he's a sadist. He's not just dominant. He's a sadist. And she is submissive to him. And then. When the book is open, they've not been together for a few years because of stuff that you learn about, like, in later books. Uh, and so she is um, trying to, like, make a life for herself without this man who's been in her life since she was 15. Uh, and so she is uh, an erotica writer, like I mentioned, and has decided to write something that's more literary, I'm using air quotes here, and personal and, like, true to her personal experience. And she gets paired up with this editor from her publisher named Zach, who has a reputation for being, like, a jerk to his authors like he is here to whip you into shape and she is here for that get it i just made a bdsm joke (laughs) and so zach's story is that he is married um not happily at the moment his wife has had an affair and has left him and he like still deeply deeply loves her and does not know what to do um him and his wife are from london he's moved to new york to try to get over her and like move on with his life he doesn't want to. He still really loves her. And he gets kind of saddled with Nora, who is, as he says, an author of one-handed reads. And he feels like editing her is like totally beneath him. And he only agrees to work with her if she will like write to his standards, which of course she does, because romance can, is and can be like beautiful writing. Be quiet, Zach. Sit all the way down. Um, anyway, so you follow these two as they have a romantic relationship while also having romantic relationships with other people, especially Nora, because there's a lot of sex in this book, like I mentioned. Um, And then also Zach, as he deals with what's happening with him and his wife. I don't want to spoil the ending for you, but Zach and Nora do not end up together, which is one of the reasons why I think a lot of people don't consider this a romance. But Zach does end up with someone. I bet you can guess who. Um, And Nora, well, I'm not going to tell you what happens. The whole series is amazing but i will say that it is not for everyone not just because of the content warnings that i described at the beginning but also um because it is very critical of christianity catholicism specifically and the nature of the sex in this book is can can be very violent and like that is not for everyone but it is not like there's no slang happening here like no one's gonna call soren who is the priest like no one's gonna talk about soren's whatever wang i don't know like (laughs) it's very adult language (laughs) because it's a very adult you know concept um and is in reality a study of the nature of submission and dominance in religion hey i love it so that's the siren by tiffany rice go with god (laughs) yeah oh amanda (laughs) Oh, I love you. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, this is an interesting question. I hear you on the wanting, like, positive language. Like, that can sometimes also throw me out of a romance novel. Um, And I thought maybe Regencies might work for you in that regard. Mine is, like, the tamest compared to Amanda. <laughs> so you have a range of options here. So I picked The Countess Conspiracy by Courtney Milan, which comes with a trigger warning for miscarriage. Uh, Not, like, in present day, but in a flashback. Um, And this is my favorite, quite frankly, of the Brothers Sinister series. It's also the third one, but you can read them again out of order. It's fine. You'll miss some character notes, but you can always go back. And this is a really interesting one because um, the two leads have been friends forever, like really, really, really close friends. And they're also sort of putting one over on society in that Sebastian, who's the man, is like a very educated person and is constantly, you know, scandalizing society, both with his behavior, he's a rake, um, but also he's got, he's been publishing all of these scientific theories. 
And then Violet is a widowed countess, and they've known each other forever, and she's very respectable. But she's actually the one coming up with the scientific theories, and then Sebastian is publishing them because women aren't taken seriously in the sciences in Regency England, and this is how they've decided to do it. And it started out as, like, you know, like, harmless fun for them both. She gets her stuff out there. He doesn't mind taking the credit. It builds his reputation. But things have reached a point where they can no longer go on as they have been going. And so they really have to reckon with their feelings for each other, what is holding them apart personally, which there's they both have all kinds of baggage, like huge amounts of baggage. And I think what I love about Courtney Milan's books is that they're all really emotionally complex as well as steamy. Like she'll write a killer sex scene, but there's a lot of emotional weight to them as well. And I think I can't remember her ever using like dirty talk in her Regency ones. Like not to say that there's never dirty talk because there is, but I don't remember any dirty talk from the Regency books, which I could be wrong, but I don't think there is. And like, you're not going to get, if you're going to get a steamy sex scene, you're going to get euphemisms for body parts. Like nobody is like 100% clinically accurate 100% of the time in romance. That's just not a thing. But I think it's all like positive words as far as I remember. So hopefully that will be closer to what you're looking for. I'm not sure. Uh, The other thing I wanted to mention to you is that Rachel Kramer Bustle is an editor of Erotica who has edited like a bajillion different Erotica collections. And some of them have very specific themes. And I will bet you that there's some stuff in there that might be closer to what you're looking for, because of what it sounds like when you say like a happily married couple plus steamy sex, like that's that's not a romance novel plot necessarily, because they're going to have to get unhappy at some point for there to be conflict. <laughs> right. So erotica might be much closer to what you're looking for. So I would check out um, and and I trust Rachel's uh, editing eye and, and writing. So so Rachel Kramer Bustle is an erotica editor. You might want to check out, you know, some things she's edited to see if there's anything along those lines that would be interesting. But again, my pick for you is The Countess Conspiracy by Courtney Malen. Okay, our next question is from Heather, who says, I'm searching for a book that captures all of the Halloween slash fall feelings. Chilly air, crisp leaves, dark shadows, all of the pumpkins. <laughs> I'd love something set around New England during Halloween slash autumn in general. Please recommend a novel open to YA romance literary fiction, something with a creep factor without being full-blown horror. Books I've read like this and loved are Saw, Saw Kill Girls, Spellbook of Katrina Von Tassel, Devouring Grey, Hocus Pocus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, lots. Uh, please help me find another Halloween book. Amanda. Uh, I picked The Secret History. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> this is all you need. Uh, the Secret History by Donna Tart. I, You know, you didn't mention it. So I, I can't, I assume everyone's read The Secret History already. But I think that that's unfair because it's like 600 pages. It's like 20 years old. Um, maybe just everyone I know has read it. Anyway, it takes place in an unnamed or fictional, maybe it is named, a fictional New England, um, very small college town. Uh, And it's about a kid who is from California. So like, everything about New England is weird to him. And he comes to this town and he uh, goes to the school and he falls in with this crowd of I think four or five other kids who are all studying the classics, um, by which I mean like the Greek classics, not like Dickens, but like classics, classic literature um, and Greek. And they're all teaching themselves Greek. And and they are under the tutelage of this one particular professor who is very like eccentric and strange and has relationships with these kids. That's like 
weird. Uh, he's going for Dead Poet Society, but he's not hitting it. He's getting more like, this is inappropriate, and you need friends your own age, in my opinion. Uh, and the book opens with these kids having a drunken bacchanal, like literally summoning the god Dionysus and accidentally killing someone at the beginning. Like it opens with that happening. A local. They accidentally kill a local. Uh, and then the rest of the book is you watching the this group get to that point, like flashbacks, um, what they're going to do, trying to cover it up, um, and how they ended up being the kinds of kids who spend their free time trying to summon an ancient Greek god. Like, what is wrong with you? Uh, it is so atmospheric and creepy and strange for all of the reasons I just mentioned, mostly the ones about kids trying to summon Greek gods. Um, and a very wintry New England, like, it's cold all the time. I don't know if she mentions warm weather a single time in the book. Um, there is a scene where the kid, the main character, spends like several weeks during the Christmas break when he can't go home because he doesn't have the money, like in an old factory, just freezing, <laughs> freezing. And it's like, what? What is happening? Um, and all, all the other kids are wealthy, which is an interesting juxtaposition because the main character is not. And he comes from a very normal middle class family. And one of the reasons why he becomes so enmeshed and entangled with these other kids is that they have all this like old New England money. Um, and he spends so much time being like dazzled by their eccentricities. And it's not so much eccentricities as it is um, pretensions. Like they are literally pretending. They're putting on all of these eccentric, strange, intellectual academic kind of airs and it, it is very autumnal the whole thing is very autumnal so that's the secret history by donna tart i picked the physic book of deliverance dane by Catherine howe which is also sort of scholarly witchery <laughs> which is a thing now i've decided and it's actually the first in a series the second one came out in the last year i want to say so there's more if you really like it and it's a slow burn it is about a harvard grad student named connie who is going to spend the summer doing research for her dissertation her doctoral dissertation um in and her mother asks her to handle the sale of uh connie's grandmother's old home near salem you can see where this is going. <laughs> and so she's like, oh, I guess I can't turn it down. It'll be fine. So she goes and she starts poking around this old family house and finds like an old key and there's a little bit of parchment. And then, you know, these clues lead her because she is a researcher to a point where she's researching her own family history. And there's like, you know, a magic book and also her advisor for her dissertation is super creepy. And she starts having like these visions of the old witch trials and maybe like they're tied to her and her family in some way. And she doesn't know and she has to figure it out. So you're going, you know, into the the literal witchery trials past um, from the perspective of this doctoral student. And it's super atmospheric. It's super, you know, it's not specific. Halloween, I don't recall, but like you're gonna have all the Halloween feelings. So that again is the Physic Book of Deliverance Dane by Catherine Howe. Okay, question three is from Myra, who says, I've been craving some lighthearted witchy reads lately. I've read Labyrinth Lost by Zoraida Cordova, Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi, which are great, and I have in my TBR pile The Bone Witch and The Heart Forger by Rin Chapeco. All these titles are pretty dark, and while I love my books that have witches constantly raising the dead, I could really use some bubbly, cute, and less everyone is going to kill me witchy reads. And if you could sprinkle some LGBT reads in there, that would be amazing. Okay, um, I picked The We Free Men by Terry Pratchett, which is just about as cute and not everyone is going to kill me, which 
stuff as you can possibly get. Um, it's actually the 30th book in the Discworld series, but I have read zero of the other uh, the Discworld <laughs> series. And I loved this one, so I think you're going to be fine. Also, Discworld is so complicated and like there are series on series on series, so I don't know that it actually matters where you start. Um, although if you care, we have guides to that on the site. So this is a book about Tiffany Aching, who is young, I think, when the book opens, she's 12-ish. Um, and she lives in the chalk, which is like this very warm and green, it's Ireland, <laughs> Ireland sort of stand-in country. Um, and her family are shepherds. Her grandmother was a, um, not an elder in this village, but kind of an elder, like a very well-respected shepherd um, who everybody asked advice uh, asked went to for advice and um you know like medical assistance and all this kind of stuff um and she has recently died and so tiffany is just sort of bored like she doesn't particularly love her chores she doesn't know what to do with her hand eyes you know um she's a 12 year old girl in the middle of the country like bored that's what's happening she misses her grandmother and then her brother goes missing and what's happened is that like a, a rift has opened between her world and fairyland um and monsters are like coming through nobody can see them except tiffany uh and so she's starting to you know like what what's happening um and then she she meets the knack mac fiegel who call themselves the wee free men and these are tiny little men who wear blue they're like six inches tall, um, who just cause mischief and help her solve the mystery of where her brother went and why um, this rift has opened between the two worlds. They call themselves, pick. I can't even say it, Pixies, like P-I-C-T instead of Pixies. Get it? Because it's Irish. <laughs> okay. You, all, you understand what I'm saying here. Um, and it's just adorable. Of course, Tiffany has discovered or discovers very quickly in the course of the book that she is a witch and that her grandmother was also a very powerful witch. Um, but it's this this witchery, this magic that's like, very earthy and like old school and nobody's raising the dead here um but they could probably because <laughs> they're a little scary and you can see how this book works in with the other books in the Discworld series because like some of the other characters that you've probably heard of that are just like in pop culture knowledge um come in and out uh, but mostly it's just about this girl who discovers that she has these powers um and that she that give her all of this confidence um and really connect her with her grandmother who was you know somebody who she really deeply loved trying to save her brother who is annoying and like won't stop eating candy like it's just very fun so that's the we free men by terry pratchett yeah my pick is also fun although there is like some peril uh it's <laughs> hocus pocus and the all-new sequel by aw jantha and y'all i'm a hocus pocus fan from way back and I was really excited when this got announced and I was so excited when it came out and it's really interesting what they've done here because what this is actually two books in one they've novelized Hocus Pocus the movie and then the second half of it is the sequel which is super cool I will confess that I did not have time to finish reading the novelization of Hocus Pocus, but I started it and they were adding some interesting layers of like character development and motivation onto the original movie, which was fun. So I probably will go back to it and finish that. But the sequel is so enjoyable. It takes place like 25 years after the events of Hocus Pocus when Max and Allison, who is spoiler, are married, have uh, their they have a 17 year old daughter named Poppy who has been like suffering every Halloween because she knows this family story about the night the Sanderson sisters came back and like her dad is her history teacher and she's like terrified that the kids at school are going to find out that her parents think the Sanderson sisters are real and that zombies and witches are a thing and 
she and her best friend Travis are like just trying to get through this school day and she ends up having to tell her crush uh, who is this like amazing girl who's you know the best at everything in school and is dressed up as Athena for Halloween because of course um, <laughs> Isabella she ends up telling Isabella this story and the school like mean girl overhears her and so she, high school has suddenly got much more complicated and then that night to prove that she doesn't believe they go and mess around in the Sanderson sisters cottage and what do you think happens (laughs) history repeating so this so and so like when I say peril it's like it's that kind of peril like the Sanderson sisters are back and trying to like unleash all kinds of literal hell but you know it's very silly and fun and lighthearted. somebody gets turned into a dog there's like surprise magic powers there's this really sweet queer love story It's so much fun. It's so silly. It's such a romp. Like, I really enjoyed it. And I will say also that it addresses a few things that I found very annoying as an adult about Hocus Pocus. So I appreciate A.W. Jantha, whoever you are, I appreciate you. (laughs) Thank you for that. So so I think you'll have a lot of fun with it. Um, And again, that's Hocus Pocus and the all new sequel by A.W. Jantha. Wait, but what did you find annoying about Hocus Pocus? Well, so, no, like, as a grown-up, though, you know that final scene where they leave the bullies hanging in the cages in the Sanderson sisters' house? Yeah, like, things like that, like, that are just like, oh, that's not... That's literally not okay. Yeah. <laughs> but like as a kid, you're just like, ha ha, the bullies are in the cage. You know what I mean? Like it's, you know, I have grown. And so my understanding of you don't leave people locked up in cages without food or water has grown. That's kind mm-hmm. of what I'm talking about there. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. And I'm totally doing my rewatch of the movie this weekend, by the way, just for the mm-hmm. record. Yeah, I'm going to wear my t-shirt with their faces on it while I do that. Oh, yes. I have an amuck, amuck, amuck <laughs> shirt and also a purple witch hat that I will be wearing for sure. Um, okay, our next question is from Teresa, who says, I identify as asexual and don't often get to see that aspect of myself reflected on the page. I've scoured the internet and read everything I could with ace characters. Let's talk about love, Tash Hart's Tolstoy, Ladies Guide to Petticoats and Piracy, to name a few. But the lists are fairly limited. I'm open to books that don't explicitly use the term asexual but that have characters that lend themselves to being read as ace. A favorite of mine is Kaz from Six of Crows, for example. Unfortunately, that's a very difficult thing to search for. Can you recommend any more books that feature characters I might see myself in? I'm open to any genre. What you got, Amanda? Okay, I picked Every Heart a Doorway by Seanan McGuire, which doesn't, I don't it doesn't use the word asexual, but it's very obvious that she's asexual. Like the main character talks about her identity a lot in the book. So this is a fantasy, uh, fantasy novel. Um, what's the word? Portal fantasy. Hey, you. Uh, young adult novel. That's about a boarding school for kids who have fallen into other worlds and then come back and don't know how to adjust. So this is for like kids who have gone to Narnia been expelled by Narnia and just want to go back to Narnia and like don't know how to function in the real world. And all of these kids who attend this school come from different, um, have gone through different portals. Some of them have landed in worlds that are like super fun and whimsical and great. Some of them have landed in worlds that are very terrifying and weird and that have like totally warped, you know, their minds and their senses of right and wrong. Some are really terrifying. Um, And the main character, Nancy, when she went through her portal, she ended up in basically the underworld, the land of the dead, um, where she learned to 
dress in like gray, stand really still for long periods of time, eat a lot of blood colored things and like not talk to people. And like, this is what she's used to. She grows, she spends years there, like from a child to this point where she's a teenager. Um, And this is all that she knows, all that she loves. She just wants to go back. She gets expelled from this land for reasons that I won't go into because of spoilers. Um, And now that she's back, her parents have tricked her into going to this boarding school because they want her to be normal and they've heard things about it. So while she's there, um, a series of murders begin. And so this book is actually like a whodunit wrapped up in this kind of fantasical concept. Um, And some of the kids start dying one by one over the course of the book. And so you're trying to figure out like why and and who is responsible. Um, And so Nancy's identity as being asexual does not really have much to do with the plot, but it comes up for various and sundry reasons. Um, one of which is like this very interesting scene where her roommate asks her if she minds if she masturbates, which is like, so oh. what? Yeah. Do you not remember that? <laughs> I, I confess have never read this series. Oh, 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 it's so great. It's so much fun. Um, but it's hilarious. Like her, this character who plays, who not who plays, it's not a movie. Her character, um, her roommate is uh, spends her childhood in a world that like completely removes her tact or her ability to function like in with other people in any way that's like socially acceptable um (laughs) and that is kind of the vehicle through which you discover these things about nancy the main character it's so interesting and well done and hilarious and awkward and just so great um so yeah murder mystery fantasy narnia not actually narnia just other portals it's so fun so that's every heart of doorway by shauna mcguire one day I'll read them. Everybody's been recommending them for years, but that's why I haven't read them yet because they don't need my help. So That's true. <laughs> I'm Super sure I'll true. love them though. I'm sure I'll love them. Um I also have a fantasy YA novel for you. It's Beneath the Citadel by Destiny Saraya, who Amanda has recommended before, <laughs> and I love this one. This is a standalone and it has such great representation there are uh, it's either four or five pov characters i can't remember if you get all five of them um no four anyway it doesn't matter there are several pov characters one of whom is gay one of whom is bi one of whom is ace and you get all of their perspectives switching throughout the story which is awesome and you also get um Like you see them struggling with anxiety and betrayal and like family issues and like all of these complicated feelings about so many things. And the ace character, like it's not a big deal or a problem that this is who she is. Like it's 100 percent accepted and known. She has different struggles that she's dealing with, Um, but it's it's there on the page. It's not you know, it is a YA fantasy, so it's not called that, but <clears throat> the the word asexual is not used, but it's it's obviously there. Um, and this is so great because they are part of a rebellion because, you know, of course, <laughs> it's a city where the ruling council uses prophecies to legitimate themselves and to stay in power. And there have been attempted uprisings, including by some of these teenagers' parents, and it's always gone really poorly, and, like, the prophecies are never on the rebels' sides. And these teenagers have hatched a plot to try to bring down the council, and you see them, like, trying to make it work. And, of course, everything goes horribly wrong, and they have to, like, rework the plan as they're going. And there's, like, a really creepy baddie living underneath the Citadel. And ugh, all kinds of really intense, complicated things are happening. 
And there are so many feelings. There's so many feelings. Oh, I love all of my like cinnamon roll children in this book. They have so many feelings. Um, and I will tell you, it's got kind of a tragic ending, but it like, it's, it's warranted within the context of the book. Like I was like so sad, but also like, okay, like you earned that ending. And it's so, it ends on this really amazing note. And I really loved what Destiny Soraya did with this like pretty, you know, it's, it's super common to have this like rebellion. Uh, context with a YA novel, but I love what she's done with it. It feels very fresh and different. And I, like I said, I love these characters. Like they are my cinnamon roll children. I love them so much. So I think you will also enjoy it. And again, good representation. So that's Beneath the Citadel by Destiny Soraya. And I forgot, um, I also, when in romance, our uh, romance podcast did a whole episode around ace representation of romance. So I'm going to leave the link for that show in the show notes for you uh, because, yeah, lot, lots more romance. All right. So I'm going to talk about our second sponsor before we go further, which is Playlist, The Rebels and Revolutionaries of Sound by James Rhodes and illustrated by Martin O'Neill. So this is a book out from Candlewick that introduces classical music to young readers in a really fun and engaging way. Open your mind to some of the most breathtaking and magnificent pieces of music ever created and find out why the rebels and revolutionaries who wrote them are responsible for every track that is on your phone. Discover their backstories and how each one shaped and defined classical music. Learn about the structure of an orchestra, the language of music, and the history of various musical periods. With jaw-dropping artwork and avant-garde design, this visually exquisite celebration of classical music is a surefire hit for both first-time listeners and long-time fans. I'm going to check this out because classical music is one of those things that, like, like wine, where you're like, I should like that, but I know nothing about it, and it intimidates mm. me, so I just don't even try. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I feel about classical music. <laughs> but I feel like if I unlocked it, you know, one of those things where like if you learned, you'd be fine with it and could yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. All right. So thank you for sponsoring the show. All right. Our next question is from Cassidy, who says, I'm graduating from PT school next spring and cons- and am considering some solo international travel to celebrate. I'm fairly well-traveled, but I've never gone on my own. So I'm looking for books about solo travel, fiction or nonfiction, particularly by and for women does not have to be specific to a certain location as I haven't decided where I'm going yet. Okay, Jen, what you got? I am recommending to you one of my all-time favorite female travel writers, Dervla Murphy. I picked Full Tilt, Ireland to India with a bicycle specifically, but like honestly, just read like whatever she's written. She's so good. But I picked this one because this one is solo travel. Some of her others, um, she's traveling with her daughter. This one, in 1963, she rode her bicycle across Europe, through Persia and Afghanistan, over the Himalayas, and <laughs> into Pakistan and India in a terribly snowy winter. Like, this is just a thing that she did, which continues to be bananas to me. Like, what? <laughs> but she did. And it's based on, she kept a diary. So this is based on her diary records. So as she was going, like, she was recording her thoughts and then, you know, polished them up later. And I she is so frank and so funny and so good at like just like matter of factly being like and then I did this and you're like that how what how like I just I will never be as brave or as pragmatic as this woman <laughs> like it's just amazing to me and I wish I could remember how I first discovered her it surely was from the library because like I said these books are old 
The most recent editions are from the 80s. Like, they're a little bit hard to find, although you can definitely find them. And my library has them, so I think you should be able to get a hold of them. But, like, nobody talks about her, and I'm just still continue to be obsessed with her to this day. She's a fascinating person. Um, And, yeah, I just think she will be an inspiration to you. And her books are so enjoyable. Like, just, it's like sitting down with a, you know, a beer and this woman at a bar, and she's just going to tell you about her crazy adventures. Like, it's fantastic. So, and again, I will say, you know, these were written in the 60s, and she is a very smart and interesting person, but there's probably some, I can't remember because it's been so long since I read them, what the like colonialist perspective is in here. It could, could mm. very well be. But, uh, but on the whole, like the, the, the things she's accomplished are amazing. So again, that's Full Tilt, Ireland to India with a Bicycle by Dervla Murphy. I won't even ride my bike on like a busy street. No, same. I, I've stopped <laughs> riding bikes because I live in a city and it's ter. I don't want to get doored. It's terrifying. But like, you know, forget like going up a mountain. Like there's no way. Oh, I would 100% never go up a mountain. Like for any reason. No. Maybe, I mean, in a car. Sure. But like not if I'm driving. <laughs> <laughs> it's not because I'm scared. I just don't like mountains. Uh, that's weird. Okay. Anyway, that was a weird thing. <laughs> so my pick for you is A Field Guide to Getting Lost by Rebecca Solnit. And I picked this because it's not specifically a about like a woman going to a place and then writing about it. Um, It is more about the way that we think about travel and the natural world and how we experience our day-to-day lives in general. It's a very meandery essay collection. Um, And it's a bit, also a bit older. It came out in 2005. You probably, Rebecca Solnit is like, way more famous now for writing Men Explain Things to Me. And this is an older essay collection. Um, But it's about... um, how to describe something so strange. Like the first essay is about the color blue and how that phenomenon where um, blue appears at like the edge of the horizon during a sunset or at the end of the horizon, if you're looking at the ocean, basically at the end of the horizon in any situation um, because of the way light filters through the atmosphere and the ocean and how like contemplating that blue color and chasing that blue color has been the reason why she has traveled so widely and has ended up in like some very frequently dangerous situations like being on the top of a mountain in the Rockies during a a lightning storm that kind of thing Uh, all because she's chasing this like one very specific scientific phenomenon and sometimes in these essays she's alone sometimes she's not but they're very much about like she's accompanied if she is accompanied by like a guide or a friend not like her family or a romantic partner or whatever. Um, And some of them aren't about traveling at all. Some of them are about losing things in her own home or the metaphorical loss, like, um, you know, grief, uh, abandonment, things like that. Um, But if you're going to travel by yourself, um, I have traveled alone uh, internationally a few times and I love it, but it is a very different experience because you, you don't have anyone to like just chatter with. Like you're, you're spending a lot of time on your own, processing your experiences without the lens of another person. So it's almost more mental effort, even though you would think it would be less. Um, And this book is really about framing that experience, about how when you maybe are wandering through a city that you've never been to before, you don't speak the language, and you get lost, what the value is in that. And it's not about, like, the practicalities of, you know, being a woman traveling alone and getting lost and how scary that is. Um, That is, like, she's leaving you to figure out those sorts of things, but it's more about the mental and emotional and even philosophical experience of being lost somewhere um, that you're completely unfamiliar with and how that is really like the fund- the foundational experience of humanity is about exploration in that way. So I don't, it, it's not going to help you in like any practical way, but it is a very interesting framing of the idea of international 
um, or even local, like going into a, a, a part of nature in your own town that you don't know or aren't familiar with, um, experience of getting lost. So that's a field guide to getting lost by Rebecca Solnit. All right. Our next question is from Ekaterina, who says, I recently read A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Tolls and enjoyed every page of it. I've been looking for something similar to read. I really liked the main character's outlook on life and how he mastered art de vivre. I'd love something that is written as beautifully as this particular book and features a character that knows how to enjoy life. A hedonist, if you will. I love, I love that. I'd prefer something contemporary with lovable characters, and I'd rather it didn't include heavy topics such as war, assault, etc. I'm fine with murdery stuff, though. My other all-time favorite is The Secret History of Donna Tartt. I thought I'd mention it to give you a better idea of what kind of writing I enjoy. Uh, okay, I'll keep talking. So I had to get help for this one because I all of my hedonists are like very heavy topics, apparently. <laughs> so I had a little trouble. But Nikki and Susie from our Contributor Core both strongly recommended City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. And reading over the description, I feel like, yes, this seems yes. So, <laughs> like, it's like a novel about glamour and sex and adventure. Like, yes, those are all hedonist things. Um, and it is set in, well, so it's two timelines. There's the 1940s timeline when the main character, Vivian, has been <laughs> kicked out of Vassar College and is moving to Manhattan to live with her Aunt Peg, who owns this, like, crumbling theater. And then Vivian at 95, so sort of contemporary times, telling the story of that time in her life and, like, where she got to from then. So she's, like, so, you know, young Vivian is part of this, you know, theater world and everybody's, like, really charismatic and unconventional and sexy and all of these things are happening. But she makes a mistake that turns into a professional scandal and then has to figure out, like, how to proceed with her life when everybody is like, you know, telling you that you are not okay. And so, uh, so yeah, so it's about um, women finding themselves and their way forward, regardless of what society thinks of them. And, and also that theater world, which is so much fun to read about, like I'm definitely, this is on my TBR now, because this is all inside of my wheelhouse. Uh, so again, that is City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. Okay, I picked Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain, who is my sexual orientation. So, <laughs> or was. He's, oh, he's no longer with us, which is just the saddest. Um, so Kitchen Confidential might seem like a left pick or left field pick for this because it's about the restaurant industry. But there is no hedonist who wrote about it better than Anthony Bourdain. And this entire book is about like food and drugs. <laughs> and that is it in the restaurant scene. So it's a memoir about Bourdain's early life um, as like a young adult. And how he rose to become the very famous chef, internationally known chef that he was. It covers the first, like, I think 20 years of his career. So um, it's not including, you know, his big TV shows and reservations or anything like that. But it does cover when he opened, now I can't even remember the name of it, his restaurant in New York. Um, and all of the, you know, like adventures and misadventures that he got up to along the way, working in the backs of kitchens, um, like sous chefing, and all of that, that culture. And if you've ever worked in a restaurant, everything about this will be so familiar to you and like terrifying. Um, and like the back of the house of a restaurant is just... It's like cocaine and drugs and drugs that are and are not cocaine and that everyone's sleeping together um, and the 80s. Like, that's that's what was happening. Apparently, when I worked in the restaurants, it was 2005. I was in college and it was fine. That was not happening. <laughs> At least not that I saw. Um, but he writes about food and 
just everything in this, like, just such an appreciative way. And the thing that I love about Bourdain is that he was not a snob at all. Like, he could eat a burger with the best of them and, like, appreciate it and write about it with as much appreciation as he would write about, like, really, really fancy, hot, you know, like, hot cuisine or whatever. Um, and you can just tell in his writing that that he loved the physicality of working in restaurants and he loved the like sensuality of making food and feeding people and and like loving everything about what he was doing. Um, it just really feels very like joy of life, like you were describing from the Amor Tolls. And the heaviness in this book comes from just like the, the consequences of his bad behavior, which is usually like getting fired or having a terrible girlfriend or like I did too many drugs last night and now I'm really sleepy and have a terrible hangover. The, the stakes are pretty low um, as far as peril. <laughs> this is just a show about peril. This is about Anthony Bourdain's personal peril. Um, and yeah, he's a he was a wonderful, wonderful writer. So that's Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain. Okay, last question is from Maggie, who says, I'm writing for steampunk book recommendations. I've read most of Gail Carriger's Parasol Protectorate series, and I'm not sure where to go from there. I read a wide range of genres, alternating between literary fiction, suspense, thrillers, fantasy, YA, and contemporary fiction. I'm open to almost anything. However, I shy away from gruesome, violent storylines. Some of my favorite authors are Alexander McCall Smith, Jan Karen, Stephen King, and Anne Patchett. The last few books I enjoyed include The Winter People, Silver Sparrow, and Someone Else's Love Story. I really love books that take place in a small town where everyone gets into each other's business, yet pulls together when one of their own is in need of help. Okay, Jen, what you got? All right. I have a novella for you. It is The Black God's Drums by P. Jelly Clark. And this is a really fantastic alternate history United States sort of steampunky situation. It takes place in a New Orleans in which there are like the the how do I want to say this? So the United States has not, the Civil War has not gone the way it went in our real history. Um, and New Orleans is sort of this like in-between zone of the still warring, you know, places where there's slavery and places where there isn't. And that is all sort of the big picture stuff. When you zoom in, the main story uh, is about a young girl named Creeper who is a street kid. She lives on the streets. She's always like sort of, you know, hiding out in warehouses and like selling information and stealing things. And like, that's who she is. Um, but she, what she really wants to be is a pirate, like an airship pirate. That's what she wants to do. She wants to fly on the airships. And she overhears one day a secret, like a very great political import. And she's like, who can I sell this to? And so because she wants to be part of an airship, she goes to an airship captain um, to sell the information to her. But she gets sucked into this much more complicated situation because the secret she knows has huge ramifications for the world at large. Also, plot twist, Creeper is sort of ridden by Oya, who is an African Orishan, uh, Orisha of the wind and storms. So she, like, can sometimes have powers granted to her by Oya, but Oya wants to, like, be in charge of Creeper, and Creeper is not interested in that. So they have a very push-pull conflict inside of Creeper. And there are, like, some weird nuns, and, like, it does... Part of the reason I picked this is because it does feel like a small town. Like, Creeper knows everyone because of who she is and how she lives. And all of these people get, like, sucked, pulled into this plot um, because of the webs of relationships they have. So it feels... 
even though it's like New Orleans in an alternate history, it feels a little bit like what you're talking about with small town stuff. And I just loved it so much. It's one of those novellas that feels so much bigger on the inside. Like this world feels so big and so interesting. And it's a really interesting vision. Um, and I loved the steampunk elements and I loved the magic and the characters are so great. Like, I think you'll dig it. So again, that's The Black God's Drums by P. Jelly Clark. Um, I picked, <clears throat> excuse me, Gunpowder Alchemy by Jeannie Lynn, which I guess is technically silk punk, which is just steampunk with Asian influences. So this takes place in China. Um, and before the book opens in the 1840s, China has fallen to Britain and it's like more, whatever, quote unquote, like more advanced steam power, steam powered engines and weapons. So the emperor orders all of his engineers to be executed in like a fit of rage because he's so mad that they lost this battle to the British. Um, but of course, by doing that, he eliminated China's most intelligent engineers so there was so now china's kind of like stuck in this situation of being colonized by the british and the british are spreading opium throughout the country um and the main character's name is Jin, and she is the daughter of one of those engineers who was executed this happened eight years ago and so now Jin is like kind of solely responsible for keeping her family together her mom is an opium addict and is like useless and her younger brother um might be sent off to like factories to support the family it's all like very stressful so she decides Jin decides that she's gonna sell her father's last possession that she has which is this like strange um steampunky object that she doesn't know really the purpose of and when she goes to sell it she doesn't realize this, but this, like, her decision to sell this thing sets off all of these actions that bring the intention, attention of the imperial court onto her. And it turns out that the crown prince has decided that he's going to bring together the Ministry of Science um, kind of secretly without his father knowing in order to, um, you know, propel China into a, a technological position to be able to fight the British. So she gets... In just trying to, like, feed her family, she gets involved in this really high-stakes political intrigue weapons and technology game and at the same time um she's trying to figure out what's going on with this man who she's allied with who was um a friend of her father's who she was supposed to marry like it's all very complicated so it's this big political intrigue um while she's discovering the mystery of like what this thing is like her father left her this one little object she can't figure out why it's so important um and so she's got to figure that out got to also figure out how to like again back to the feeding her family thing like save her mother and save her brother um while also helping the crown prince maybe with his mission if she learned if she like figures out how to trust him because after all this is the um you know regime that murdered her father so she's like not really here to help them understandably so um and the book is there's a little bit of romance like goodreads will classify it as a romance but that relationship doesn't isn't really the focus of the book at least not until like the very end um and it's really a book about colonialism like this is staring what happened to china in the 19th century because of british colonialism like right in the face and putting a lot more steam powered angst into it and then <laughs> seeing what happens um so it's super super fun but also like serious you know like this is dealing with serious historical events that have long-reaching repercussions that we're still feeling um so yeah so it's gunpowder alchemy by Jeannie lynn i have read some of her other stuff and i love her so much she's mm -hmm. so good 
All right. That is our show. Thank you all for listening. If you are so inclined, you can leave a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts in particular. We would love that. It helps us to uh, know how we're doing. And it also helps other people to find the show, which is always nice. Thank you to today's sponsors for helping make this episode possible. And you can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And I'm on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL, and on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.